Hey, it's Dusty Otis. Welcome to the Redefined Church Podcast. I'm so glad that you're taking part of your day to join us. I hope this message challenges you. I hope that it inspires you. But more importantly, I hope that it helps you grow spiritually. If you want to be a part of what we're doing here at Redefined Church, you can always support us by going to liveredefined.com forward slash give. I hope you enjoy today's message. As we open today, I want to kind of call attention to where we're at. We're in a spiritual battle right now. And I think it's easy to, to um, really kind of get lost in all of the chaos, whether it happens to be with social injustice or with COVID-19 or with the, um, with the debates or the, um, with, with politics. And I just want to say that those, those are all fruit problems of a root issue of a spiritual battle that's taking place right now, not just in our country, but in our world. And I feel like we're losing our soul. I feel like we're, um, man, just, just shifting so far from our beliefs and who we are. And so many of us are sitting in uncertainty and fear. And so right now what you see is there's a great opportunity for us in this season to take a stand for what we believe in and to do what we know is right and to have faith. And so many times what you see, especially in social media, in the news is, is that the extreme has become the mainstream. That, there, that it can't just be normal anymore. What gets the most attention tends to be the most extreme. And so then we're overloaded with this heightened, um, just ex- extreme is the best word I can come up with for it now. And extreme has become what we're surrounded with, what we hear, what we see, the commercials that we read, regardless of who you uh, side with or vote for, have become about personal attack. And it's not about where we're going as a people. And all of that, I'm not trying to get into some, some political debate this morning. That's not what this is about. This is about where we are as a whole. And this is a spiritual battle that we're fighting. This is a spiritual battle that we're facing. And what God is looking at right now, he's looking at the hearts of men. He's looking at the hearts of people and saying, are you with me? Are you with me? I was asked by a friend um, this week. Um, he's, he just said, what do you think about everything that's going on right now? And I said, it reminds me of Matthew. Uh, there's a verse in Matthew seven. I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, where God says, many of you are doing religious activities right now. And you're going to come to me at when the time comes, you're going to come to me and say, Lord, Lord, but I did all of these things and I, and I used your name to do them. And he's going to say, I didn't know you. He's going to say, I didn't know you. And I think that's what we see right now. We're seeing, we're seeing a really great divide. Like it is, it is a hard line. And, and really Jesus, God sees everybody as in his image, not one side or the other, not one part of the country or the other, not one part of the globe or the other. He sees us as a whole, but we tend to see each other for all the things that make us different, for all the things that uh, we want to pull out and, 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 and really divide or cause separation. And in that, what you're seeing is there's a spiritual disconnect in all of that. And it's not love. It's not love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I really don't know where, and this, is, this happens on an individual basis, I don't know where we're at as a people. But what I do know and what I do feel and sense is, is we're losing our soul. We're losing who we are in all of this. And it tends to be based out of fear. Most decisions that are being made right now in our country are being made based off of fear because of a statistic or something that we can see and grab a hold of. Well, we all know that faith doesn't operate that way. Faith is an invisible 
right? And so when you go back to what our country is founded on, what the, what, what the Bible says is, is if you just have the faith of, of a mustard seed of this, of this much, all things are possible. All things are possible. But instead of looking at the possibility and saying, okay, now there's common sense. If you want to know about wisdom and common sense, the book of Proverbs is full of that. It's full of that. And so then today, um, I just, I felt like I had to call attention to that to say, here's the thing God is looking right now. He's looking to you and he wants to know where you're at. Where is your faith right now? As, um, as people sit in fear, as, church, as churches have been sidelined, right? As people continue to be uncertain about what's happening, as cold weather hits, let me just tell you, cold weather is going to come. Numbers in the COVID numbers are going to rise. They're going to go up because it's going to thrive in cold weather. Don't freak out. Be wise, use common sense, and move forward with your life and move forward in your faith. All right, now that we're off of that, here's why. God's will for your life is for you to have heaven on earth. He wants, really, God's will for your life is for you to have heaven in your heart. For you to have heaven in your heart. When you don't have heaven in your heart, you're typically conflicted. We're going to talk this today, but your life is the fruit of what you do. It's not the fruit of what you're handed. It's never the circumstance. It's never the situation. It's never the pandemic. It is what you do with it. It's what you do with it. And so then God's will for your life is heaven in your heart, heaven in your life. Matthew 6, 10 says, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, in my life as in heaven. And so then today is your life on earth as it will be in heaven. No. Some of us, yeah, some of us, we know where we're at. We know who we are. We know what we're rooted in, and we're solid, okay? And the circumstances around us are frustrating. They're aggravating. The people around us drive us nuts, but we know who we are. We know why we're here, and we know how to move forward. That's all faith-based, right? And so if your life today is not where you want it to be, and you would say, I could, I could use a little more heaven, please, please email me, Dusty at liveredefined.com, period, okay? We can all ask this question today. We can all say, is your life, I can look to the person to my left or to my right, or I can text a buddy, and I can say, hey man, how's your life? We can all ask this question. We can all ask this question, regardless of what's happening on the outside, in any environment, we can all ask this question. The reality is though, most of us are unsure of how to ask it, or we're afraid to, or, or, or we're skeptical. Uh, sure, I, could, I don't have anything to offer. I mean, I'm just waiting. I'm just as unsure as they are. And the reality is, is God wants to use your faith in other people's lives to give them a boost right now. That's why we iron sharpens iron. We help each other out. And so then, God's will for your life is directly linked to why you are here. And that's what we're talking about today. We've all heard that there's a, you have a calling on your life. You have a purpose that you've been chosen, right? That you are in a, and, and here's this, we have a profession and we have these positions and we have all of this and what we've done. And I'm just going to take some responsibility as the, as the capital C church, we've done a really bad job of this by saying, if you don't know what your calling is and you're 
purpose and your profession and, and, and all those things come to this class. And you come to this class and you walk out and, and you're supposed to have it. Like, you're not going to get your purpose in a class. It's already in you. It's already in you. And it's revealed to you through your maturity in Christ. It's revealed to you the more you grow in your relationship with him. Your purpose is given to you. It's God-given. It's been there since the beginning. And I think we've done a really poor job at confusing your purpose and your position. I'm going to talk about these two things today. Your purpose and your position. And we've said, no, these are the same. And I think a lot of us spend a, a majority of our lives trying to force these two things together when in reality, they do complement each other and they kind of help us move up like this. But it's not. We need to marry them together and, and force them to work together. That's not it. That's not it. And so then, today we're talking about why God put you here. Here's the church answer. The church answer is to go into all the world and make disciples. And the, and, and the reality is we think that if we do that, then we can't do what we want. Well, and that's, that's where we try to put the two together, right? The reality is the mission of every church is to go into all the world and make disciples. We are the body, right? Matthew 28, 19 to 20 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's three baptisms there. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And surely I am always with you to the very end of the age. You are the church. You're the church. You are the church. But how can you do that? How can you do that? How can you do that? The second thing that we look at is if we don't think that we are to go into all the world, then we think that it's up to us. We think that our why and that God's will for our lives is to sell everything that we own and to take up our cross and to follow him. Right? And that doesn't sound like very much fun either. Matthew 16, 24 through 26 says, then, then, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Verse 25 is huge. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it gain a man to profit the whole world and forfeit his soul? Forfeit his soul. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And what I want you to see in these two scriptures that as a, as a 2020 American today or Canadian or um, Hispanic, wherever you're watching from, we got people kind of all over. You notice I never say we're international. I don't, I'll never say that, okay? But we have people all over. Is this, we overlook what he's saying is, follow me as you go. This is part of why we're here. Follow me as you go. It is a both and calling. It's not an either or. It's not, well, either go and make disciples or sell everything you own and follow me. And I think we pushed it into those two boxes. Christianity is this way. We're either going to do this or this. I'm speaking very generally, by the way, so, so just hang with me. And I think as we, as we take these, and I think we've missed it. We've put the do. We've put how to do it above. We put the engineering above um, above the faith in what, what is being said here. And so what he's saying is, follow me as you go. It is a both and call. It's a both and call. It's not an either or. Go and follow. Go and follow. 
and it doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't cost you anything. What this, what go and follow means is be an example of me, represent me, represent my love and whatever you do. And don't do it for men. Don't do it for men, but do it for me because, because heaven is where your heart is to be. Your focus should be heaven, heaven on earth, heaven in your heart, heaven in your life, heaven for those around you, heaven. Set your mind on things above, not on things below, right? But the problem is in today's culture, heaven is assumed. Heaven is assumed and love is assumed too. It's one of those things that's automatic. We fought it way back there in the back of our mind. We're like, yeah, 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 we all know. Okay, we all know. I prayed that prayer. I'm going to heaven. But we've, we've leaned away from going. We've leaned away from following and we're trying to find our way. We're trying to find our way. And today I want to help you. Today I want to help you find that. Here's the thing, because heaven's assumed and, and, and so is love, what we forgot is love is something that you give. When you give, your heart leans towards heaven. When you're kind, your heart leans towards heaven. Love is an act of heaven. In our house, love is everything. Love is everything. In the Bible we read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We read in John, no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. We read later, same book. Love covers everything. Love is something you give. And when you give love, your heart trends toward heaven. So then at the root of everything, living like Jesus really means loving like Jesus. And that means you're generous. It means you're generous. With your time, your talent, your treasure, it means you're generous with your attitude. It means you're generous with um, people in passing. It means you can give a smile. That's what it means, okay? And what the reality of this is, is you get to use who you are to make a difference. You get to use who you are to make a difference simply by giving love. This is why when you give financially, it draws you closer to God. Your finances touch everything that you have. And and we believe that God's blessed us with everything that we have. So when we give that, that's why our heart draws closer to God. Giving is an act of worship. Giving, the action of giving, started in heaven. This is why today, this is why today I can confidently say that God's will for your life is to have heaven in your heart, is to have heaven in heaven your life. Matthew 6, 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart is too. There your heart is too. Heaven is where your heart should be. Heaven is where your heart should be. And so how do we do that? Let's get into the meat and potatoes. You got your Bibles. You can turn to Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 through 22. This is going to be full screen. And this is the story of the rich young ruler. Hang with me. It's going to be good. Now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good things shall I do that I might have, that I may have heaven, eternal life? So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And so the rich and ruler said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, 
he lists a couple of them off, right? You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus is among them, right? And the young man said, yeah, yeah, yeah. All these I've kept from my youth. What do I still lack? What do I still lack? And Jesus says to him, he says, well, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Jesus goes on to explain why it's hard for wealthy people to get into heaven because, because the reality is wealth creates this sense of um, security and when we're comfort in our security, we don't have a need for anything else. And the comfort of that security does not get you into heaven. And that's what Jesus goes on to talk about. There's two things I want you to see um, in this story. And just, it's while we're here, okay? One, you're not trying to be perfect, okay? This guy's trying to be perfect. Jesus said, well, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be perfect, go do all this. And I feel like we forgot that first part and we just feel like it's on us to, to not have anything, to sell everything we have and just to, to go and follow. But really when you go and follow in faith, you have more than enough. It's not about possession, right? And so then you're not perfect and you're not perfect and you're not trying to be perfect because perfect's impossible because it's a moving target, right? Number two, you're not a rich young ruler with a ton of possessions, Okay, because I don't care how much you have, you still want more, right? And so then you're neither of those two things. Two things you need to know. God wants good in your life. God wants good in your life. He wants you to enjoy the fruits of your labor. He wants you to have plenty. This is all throughout the Bible. I'm going to share two scriptures with you on this to kind of counter you know, to counter what we feel or what we've believed for so long about what God's saying when he says, you want to be perfect? Sell everything you own and follow me. Psalms 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Takes faith. John 10, 10 says, I have come so that they can have life, so that you can have life and have it abundantly, not sparingly. So God is not honored in poverty. And neither are you. Believers are not honored in poverty. And real believers with a, a, a deep sense of faith understand this. That's fake. It's all fake. It's something that's false that steals from our relationship with God. James 2.5 says, God has called everyone, regardless of status or situation, to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom that he promised to all who love him, to all who love him. Right now in our country, right now in our world, there are a lot of people who are unsure if they love God. We have friends who consistently blame God for stuff. I'm not going to jump into that. But, but you cannot be a Christian and believe that God wants bad for you or puts bad on you. That's not the God that we serve. We have been freed and redeemed from the Old Testament, from all of that, to walk in light, to be salt, to walk in love, right? And what we need to realize in this story 
is this. We've taken this story, and, and almost everybody, regardless of how many times you've been to church, have heard this story. We know of it, or it's been, you know, kind of twisted and told to us. This conversation happened in passing, like this. Right? Happened in passing. Can you imagine how what Jesus said wrecked this guy's life? How often do you feel like the rich young ruler here? It takes more. Not enough. Not enough. I'm never going to do enough to please God anyways, so I might as well give up. Oh, you want all my stuff too? He wants all my stuff, so I'll just I'll just disconnect and I'll come over here and I'll hoard it. And that's discouraging. God doesn't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. God doesn't want your stuff, your possessions, your money. God's had everything he's ever needed from the start of time. Okay? He only wants what your stuff represents. Your heart. And he doesn't want the back corner of your heart twice a year. He wants your whole heart. He wants to see you and know you more than Christmas and Easter. He wants to engage with you on a regular basis. Right? If we paraphrase what Jesus told the rich young ruler, it's really the cornerstone scripture of our church. It's Matthew 22, 37-39. Why God put you here is to live this out, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And to love your neighbor like you love yourself, to treat others as you want to be treated. There's several scriptures that back that up. He said, when you do these two things, you'll find that you're obeying all the others, that it's not about a commandment. It's not about a commandment. It's not about a rule. Love is an action. Love is an action. It happens in relationships. You don't give, you don't give love to those you don't know, right? We call it compassion. We call it compassion when it's people we don't know. There are many ways to justify doing your own thing. And we're getting there. Hope you're taking some notes. There are many ways to justify doing your own thing. We've uh, gotten to the point where we can take these scriptures, and because there's so many different versions of these scriptures, we can take them out of context. We can make them fit our plan, um, our profession. We can make them fit even in our position. And so then we say, because I'm saved, Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And because God said that, I'm doing this. And, uh, and so then you take Jeremiah 29, 11, you make it uh, your 29, 11. Okay, dusty 29, 11. Esther 4.14, so, such a great scripture. For such a time as this, man, isn't God right on time? Such a time as this. These are great scriptures. These are acts. These are things that God does in our lives. But he doesn't give them to us for us to do on our own or for ourselves, right? In all of that, you get to Romans 4.26, and it says, carefully consider the path for your feet. 
and all your ways will be established. And we take this and say, well, it's up to me to decide where I'm going to go. And because I've decided, then it's God's, it's God's job to bless me. Another version of Proverbs 4.26 talks about justification. It's easy for you to justify all of your ways, but God looks at your heart. God looks at the intentions of your heart. So then we say, well, thank God. Or we say, won't he do it? Won't he do it? Or man, that's just how God rolls. Isn't the big man great? God, he's just right on time. God's always on time anyways. But man, it really is great when God moves at the same time we move and we feel like what we did is what he did because we have something good. In reality, we should be reminding ourselves of why we're here. Why we're here. It's our purpose. Purpose. Which is, if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you just a couple scriptures here. I'm going to bullet, I'm going to roll through these. So if you just want to tag them, it's fine. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, I will trust in the Lord with all of my heart and not, and, and not lean on my own understanding. But in all my ways, I will honor him and I will honor him. I will not lean on myself, but in all my ways, I'll honor him. And he, and he will make my path straight. Not I, he. Psalms 32, 8, God will instruct me and teach me the way I should go. He will counsel me with his eyes upon me. It takes faith to walk that out. Psalms 33, 11, the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. Whose plans? The Lord's plans. So shall the purposes of his heart through all generations forever. Ephesians 1, 4 says he chose me before the foundation of the world that I may be held holy and blameless in his sight and in his love. He chose me. He chose me. Right? We accept. We accept that. 2 Timothy 1.9 He is the one who saved me and called me with a holy calling, not based on my works, but for his purpose, with his grace, which he gave to me before time began. James 1.18, the final one, it says, In his goodness, he chose to make me his son or his daughter by giving me his true word. And I, out of all creation, have become his choice possession. What I want you to see, um, and I'm just going to share where I was at with this. I was ignorant. I was ignorant and walking in my why for the longest time. And growing up, like probably several of you, um, I was told that if I wanted to be in ministry, I had to go to school for that. But if you're a believer you're, you should be like Jesus. And so there was already a disconnect. I want to be in ministry and I already believe in Jesus. One I have to go to school for the other. I can just walk. I can just lead in my life. Right? So the question is, is either one of these, are you going to be in ministry? You have to go to school or if you're a believer, you should be like Jesus. And in walking in walking these two out, do you only do that on Sundays? Like that was my, do I, do I only do this on Sundays? Am I just a believer on Sundays? Do I only read that? Where do I read that at? Is that what, is that just something I read and that's how, it, that's how it works? Well, how much, just give me what I need to do and I'll do that. And I'll do that. And so I confused the call to ministry with the call to minister. Don't do that. 
Do not confuse the call to minister with the call to ministry. And many of you are going, well, I'm not either of those. And so don't, Dusty, don't even put that on me. Okay. I'm just going to challenge you this morning a little bit. I confuse those two. We don't want to do that. But many of us, most of us, see these two things as the same. Almost like our calling and our profession. Right? And seeing the same, what gets skewed is our perspectives. Because we see them as the same, it messes with our thought process. And we all have friends. I have friends like this. I have a lot of friends like this who would say, no way. I am not called to ministry. And because I'm not called to ministry, I'm not ministering. I will not minister. I'm not called to ministry. But there's a big difference between ministering and ministry. And what happens when we mix them is we find that being chosen and being called and having a career and having a plan and being on a path and living in our purpose and having a profession and, having, and, and being in this position are all the same thing. Then we struggle and we wrestle with these things for the majority of our life until one of two things happens, until a crisis hits or until retirement hits. And when one of these two things happen, we look around and we ask ourselves, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? Why am I married to him? Why am I married to her? I don't think I, I don't think I love them anymore. Right? Who, who are you? Who am I? Who am I? Why am I? Why am I even here? Why am I even here? And in this, what we've realized is our position, our profession has become our identity. It's become our identity. The reality of why you're here, this is kind of the, we're, we're, we're getting there. The reality of why you are on planet earth today comes down to two things. If you're taking notes, it comes down to two things. Your personal God-given calling. What is that? It is your purpose. It is your purpose. The next thing is your profession or your career. Your calling is your purpose. Your passion or your career are the position that you hold. And all this verbiage can be confusing, right? I've said a lot today. And so here's how I'm going to shorten it down. Your career or your profession, I'm going to call your position because positions change. You change positions. You even change professions if it, if it calls for it, right? Some of those times when crisis hits, it's time to get the heck out of this company and go to that company, right? And so then all that stuff changes. All of it changes. Your calling, being chosen, God's path, God's plan. We're going to call your purpose. We're going to call your purpose. And so why you're here comes down to your purpose 
and your position. Your purpose and your position. Not the coolest words, but they best describe. Your purpose is not found in your position. And your position does not fulfill your purpose. Your position can and will change. Your purpose does not. Does not. Your position then, bear with me, is ministry. Your position that you're in is ministry if you're a believer. No, that doesn't mean it has to be in church. It doesn't mean it has to be anywhere. And it, that dankster means it doesn't have to be on Sundays. Your position is how you follow as you go. If you remember how we opened, it's how you follow as you go. Ministry happens everywhere all the time. It can happen anywhere. My number one belief in why us, the capital C church is in decline is not, is not a pandemic. It's, it's not a, a race issue. It's not political. It's because we've failed to do ministry outside of Sunday. We have failed to minister outside of our one hour on Sunday mornings. See all the chaos, all the trash. Okay. It has been eliminated from our lives. And we've tried to put it in this one little space on the weekend. And really your life, your life is ministry and you're the minister. People are watching you. People are seeing you, especially as believers are seeing you. I believe we're called to be the church everywhere all the time. We're a body of believers. So the ministry happens through you and happens through you every day. And so then the best thing you do, I guess you could call that ministry, right? Or that'd be some people call it their good deed for the day. But really, don't we exist for good deeds so people can see Jesus in us, so Christ can come through us, right? Better said, it's like this. Why am I saying minister in ministry? Here's how it is said. Being like Jesus, being like Jesus is not produced by imitation, it's produced by inhabitation, which means we allow Jesus to live through us. We allow Jesus to live through us. Your purpose, then your purpose, your why is to minister. You don't have to be in ministry. You don't have to be volunteering. You don't have to be at the church. Your position is ministry. That makes sense. Your position is ministry. It's the position that you're in right now. It's the position that you're in right now. A ministry title is irrelevant to your influence and to who God has called you to be. Period. You don't need a title to share the gospel. You need a pulse. God's called us to be the salt of the earth, right? Light of the world. And just like the season is changing, it's getting darker earlier, so is the world. And if it seems dark all around you, God wants to use you to make a difference in somebody's life, to speak life, to be light, to just share a little seasoning. 
That means you can't sit back in uncertainty or in fear. You use the faith that you have and you follow as you go. You can, should, (laughs) and will do ministry where you are because of who you are, not because of the position that you hold. When you lead where you're at, you find fulfillment in what you're doing because you believe in why you're there. I'm going to say that again. When you lead where you're at, you'll find fulfillment in what you're doing because you believe in why you're there. Your why has to do with who you are. Remember, you are the only gospel that a lot of people are ever going to see. So how did I figure this out? How did I figure this out? I was addicted to work. You've heard some of my story. I was in a bad place with my overall health. Physically, I was healthy, but I wasn't in the great place, uh, the greatest place emotionally or spiritually. I was leading a church that had slipped into decline because our focus was more on convenience than it was contribution. Our focus was more on positions as opposed, as opposed to purpose. And, and we were really good at it. We're really good at it. So six years ago, I take this trip to Austin, Texas. And the whole time I'm on, uh, we're driving, we drive down. I'm there and in the back of my mind, in the back of my mind, and this is me then is, is love God, love people. And I cannot shake it for some reason. I can't tell you how it got there. Um, don't know. Okay. But this is God. Get through all these meetings and kind of, yeah. And we're driving back and it's on. It's, I just can't shake it. Love God, love people. And so then I get home talking to Heather, talking to my team. And I said, I want to, I want to shelf, I want to shelf all the processes. We had a lot going on. I want to shelf every process and I just want to focus on people. I want to get our heads up, stop doing, stop being busy. And I want to start focusing. I want to start focusing on people. And, and in that, what happened was revolutionary. It sparked something in our church that had never happened before. And it was just the start. The reality of that love God, love people that was, that was put in me almost seven years ago, six and a half six and a half years ago is this became the anchor scripture for our church for why, for why we're here, for why we're doing this It's to love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. But back then in 06, I was just it. love God, love people, love God, check, love people, check. So I could say, focus on the person, not the process, right? Don't, don't get, don't be busy with stuff. Be busy with people. I could say that and I could mean it and I could do it and it was great. But the reality was there was no, there was no tie to it, right? And so then what I want you to see is before that trip, my choices didn't match my values. How I was leading didn't match what I valued, okay? And I couldn't see the separation in my position and my purpose. I couldn't see that separation, And I think what happened on that trip for me was God slowed me down enough. I was disconnected enough for that to just keep replaying in my head. And God will do that for you. God will slow you down enough to open your eyes. 
God will slow you down enough to help you see. You know, a lot of the times you, we, we tend to get sick physically because we run our bodies into the ground, okay? So you can either take care of yourself or you're going to take a break at some point for your body to get where it needs to be, right? I think it's similar to the same thing God does. God says, okay, I see you. You can't hear me. You're not paying attention. You're not listening. Let me just slow you down. And that car ride is not a long car ride, but it lasted that weekend lasted forever. And it was to hear those two things. And I think in that, what I want to say, and, and I'm not trying to be ugly here because this has been a nasty virus. It's been ugly. It's, there have been, it's, it's been bad. It's been bad. But we've all been slowed down by it. We've all been slowed down because of it. Don't waste as everything gets ramped back up, as we begin to turn back up, if you will, and try and force our way back into some type of whatever normal was or whatever routine you're trying to get into. Don't waste the slowdown. Don't overlook the opportunity because it's still in front of you. Things are not back to the way they were. I don't think they're ever going to be back there, but we're going to find other things to keep us busy. And I think this is God saying to us, hey, who's one who's with me? Who's with me? Where's your faith? This is why, this is why it's super, it's super important to be involved with people because the isolation has been, ugh. Don't waste the slowdown of what COVID has provided for you, for your family, for those that you lead. I have a question for you. Are you successful in your position through, through the pandemic, through the slowdown? Have you thrived more in your position? So the question is, are you successful in your position, but are you struggling at home? This is a battle that a lot of us face. I face this battle. And if you are, are you willing? Are you willing to admit that? Are you willing to admit that? Yeah, man, I am. I'm thriving at work. Works great. It's good. But man, home, not so good. Second thing is this. Do you have a few people that you trust, that you can count on, that are dependable, that you can go to, right? That can speak life into you. That call you out when you blow it. Do you have those people? That's what, this is not wasting the slowdown. Not wasting the opportunity to regroup is why regroups formed. Who do you know that's close to you but far from God? One, but who do you know that's close to you that can be a friend, that can call you out, that can speak life, that can encourage you, that can bring a little light to the situation? Get together with those people. It should start in your house and then those you trust in and around you while we rebound from a pandemic. In your groups of friends, what you typically find is peace. You find peace for your uncertainty. You realize everybody's feeling the same thing. You find clarity between your purpose and your position in these groups. This is where faith bridges the gap between the two. This is where faith bridges the gap from purpose to position. This is part of living a faith-driven life. It's being around like-minded people. It's our number one prayer right now, by the way, like-minded people. We don't pick up our faith or our purpose. You don't just pick it up when you feel like it. 
It's with you always. It's with you always. And it's just like the bank. You have what you've invested. You have what you've invested. Okay? So then how do we move forward from today? Do not allow what you do to define who you are. Do not allow what you do to define who you are because who you are is attached to why you're here. Why? Why do I not want to define, uh, let what I do define who I am? Because a shift in your position is going to happen at some point. And when it does, you want to know your why. You want to be attached to that purpose, right? If not, you're going to find yourself in a crisis. I think we call these midlife crises. This is about the time that they tend to hit, right? And so then, how do we lose our why? How do we lose this, Dusty? How do we get these two confused? How do they come together? How do they get intertwined and all together? And it's simple. We ask each other this. What do you do? What do you do? It's a get-to-know-you shorthand. Hi, my name is Dusty. I'm a pastor. Oh, great. I know you. You fit over there. Good to know you, right? What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And then guess what? It gets worse. We ask our kids, what do you want to do when you grow up? Or what do you want to do? And then, and then in the mix of being in a profession and being a kid, all through church, all through church, you're pushed to find what's the one thing God puts you on the earth to do? What's the one thing? And we, me- and we mesh your purpose and your profession or your position together. And then you walk out and you're like, nah, something's off here. Something's off. Something's disconnecting. Something doesn't fit. Because, because that is my, that's my ministry, but I'm a minister. Right? And so then, you guys like how I'm using those M words. I know you do. Okay? <laughs> calling is not a position. Find your calling. Calling is not a position. It's your purpose. This is John 12, 27, Jesus came to fulfill his purpose. Jesus came to fulfill his purpose. We all know that purpose and we are grateful, grateful. But so often we're told, we're told to find our purpose and it's almost every time related to our position. Instead of finding your purpose in who you are, If you missed weeks two through four of this series, God Said What? We talked about who God says you are. You need to go back and listen to those. In finding your purpose, you understand why we're talking about these two callings today on your life. What two callings? Your personal purpose and your professional position. You have a purpose, you have a position. Your purpose, again, is God-given. It's unshakable. It's who you are. It will never change. It has nothing to do with what you do. Your position is the vehicle in which you fulfill your God-given purpose. It can and will change. And when it changes, it's totally okay. And it should not wreck your life because you know your purpose. Your purpose is who you are. It's why you're on earth. It's how you fulfill the great commission in your life. It is how you follow as you go, which is to love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. It's a staple. This is a staple of who we are. Your purpose is not to be the best lawyer in town 
the best journalist, the best banker, the best football player, the best businessman or businesswoman, uh, the best social media guru. Your purpose is not to be those things. Those are positions and those positions change. And they should. Why? We want to get better. I want to get better. We all want to move up. We all want to make more money. We all want to be more successful, right? Your priorities are going to change. You're going to realize that you don't need to work 80 hours a week anymore, right? You're going to peak in the position that you're currently in. And so then opportunities are going to show up because of who you are. Because of who you are. Why do we have references? Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? Everybody's looking. Everybody's looking. We've just clouded it. We've clouded it up, right? When these opportunities come up, I'm going to tell you that if you're a believer, most of the time they're ordained by God. He sees you. He's honoring you. He's causing your hand to prosper. He's providing abundance for you. Everything he said that he would. He moves you in different places in different seasons. Your focus shifts when your priorities change. And just because you've, you've changed positions doesn't mean that you change. It only means your position changes. God knows, God knows a change in your position is coming. He knew it before you were born, before he gave you a purpose. Just because you change positions doesn't mean you change. As a matter of fact, it's like I said, most of us, the reason we change or are willing to change positions is because of who we are. And more importantly, who people know us to be, which has everything to do with your purpose. But so many times we put that purpose on the back burner to strive for that position. If we don't separate our purpose and our position, we don't know who we are outside of what we do. Few of us are fortunate enough to figure this out. But for the majority of us, we identify who we are with the position that we hold, the business that we run. And here's the killer, man. And then we get upset when people disrespect it, even though it has nothing to do with who we are. Nothing to do with who we are. But we get offended. So then... As God calls you to different things in different seasons, you must stay rooted in your purpose, your purpose. I hope, I hope this is bringing clarity, <laughs> hope. When we identify who we are with what we do, we often compare to the things that shift like status, position, finances, and we find our identity in that. So we lose who we are, which is, which is directly tied to our why, which leads to us creating separation between our purpose and our position. And because there's separation between uh, our purpose and our position, we cling tighter to the position, right? And we cling tighter to it because we see fruit from it. We gain gratification from it. People appreciate us because of it. We gain credibility for it, right? But it's not who you are. It's not who we are. This is my story. <laughs> this is my story. And because I've experienced it, I can share it with you unashamedly. 
It doesn't bother me because I believe God wants us all to see this. We've got to get these two separate. They're, they are both callings. And you are going to do ministry in your position. But you are a representative. You're to be an example. You're to lead like Jesus, minister, right? And so because I've experienced this, I can see this. I can see it. I hear the excuses because, because I gave them, right? It's a process to get out of. It's a process to get out of. Your purpose is who you are. Your position is what you do. Both are callings. Your purpose is minister. Your position is ministry. This is how you live out the great commission in the position that you're currently in. This is why God put you here. This is why God put you here. This is how we go in love and follow as we go with your heart. So then, closing. As we mature as followers, we see the difference. As we mature in our relationship, as we grow closer to God, we see the difference between our purpose and our position, and we understand that they complement each other. Right? This is why Colossians 3.23 makes so much sense to me. Whatever your hand finds to do, I'm right-handed, whatever your hand finds to do, do it wholeheartedly, not for men, but for God, but for God who gave you everything that you have. This is what created the hashtag live redefined. What if everything our hand found to do, we did it wholeheartedly with heaven in our heart? Going, doing as we follow with our purpose attached to the position that we're in. That's what it means to be (laughs) redefined. That's what redefined is. There are four distractions, if you're taking notes. These are very simple and very short. There are four distractions we face in the process of separating our purpose and our position. Four distractions. Number one, the distraction of popularity. This is 2020 world stuff right here. If you're always worried about what other people think, you will be distracted from your purpose and consistently be focused on your position. This is Proverbs 29, 25. Do not fear the opinion of men, but trust God and he'll take care of you. The distraction of popularity is number one. Number two, the distraction of pleasure. It's okay to have fun. It's okay to get comfy. It's all good. But if that is your primary focus of life, you will never fulfill your purpose. This is John 15, 16. We are to bear fruit. So then as we go, we are being like Jesus. We're following. Number three, the distraction of profit. You cannot serve both God and money. Okay. Making a profit can't be the primary focus of your life. When making a profit is your primary focus, your position comes before your purpose. Matter of fact, you will lose that purpose because your number one goal is money. It's Matthew 6, 24. You cannot serve God and money. You either love one and hate the other, despise one. Okay? Example. People get up every day and go to jobs. Millions of people get up every day and go to jobs that they cannot stand. They complain about them all day. They hate them all day. But they stay right there. Because that money's good. 
because that money's good. Not even realizing God has something better. God has something better. Number four, the distraction of possessions. This is the rich young ruler. Judging your success by how much you own will only keep you concerned about the things that you have and maintaining the things you have instead of living in your purpose. It's Matthew 19, 16 through 22. It's how he opened. So what's the solution? What's the solution? The solution to the distractions that 2020 has thrown at you, that culture has thrown at you is this. It's three words. Do not conform. Romans 12, 12. Do not conform yourselves to the standards of this world, but let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of your mind. Then you will be able to know the will of God, which is heaven on earth, and what is his good, and what is good and pleasing to him, and is perfect in, in his eyes. What's Romans 12, 2 say? You will know your purpose in the position that you're in. It's okay to be different from others. It's okay to be different from others. You need to be different. And I'm not talking about different in like some wild hairstyle or hair color and some new tattoos and piercings and changing the garb that you wear every day. Okay. We all know that we cannot be fooled by appearance that God does not look at our appearance. He looks at our hearts. If you're going to live in the purpose that God has given you, you cannot be the same as everyone else. I'm going to push you a little, little bit further how I opened. You cannot push to the extreme. Everybody who wants attention right now is extreme. And those people need the most love. They need the most Jesus. Okay, I don't care who they are. They need the most Jesus. So you find your why. You find your why. You find why God put you here in your purpose, not in your position. You're not a robot. You have a choice. You have a reason. You have a purpose. And now, now for such a time as this, right? Now is the time that you get to walk in it. It's why God put you here. Well, hey, thanks so much for listening to today's message. I hope that it challenged you and that you'll take steps this week to have a greater faith and to go deeper in your relationship with God. If you want to know more about what's happening here at Redefine Church, you can visit us online at liveredefine.com. Follow us on social media at Redefine Church or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.